Welcome to Executives in Wealth Management podcast. I'm your host, Tom Spencer, Director at Cygnus Search and Selection, executive search firm across the UK wealth management space. In this podcast, we'll provide our listeners with exclusive insights for the most successful leaders, disruptors, entrepreneurs and relationship managers in the market. Our guests will share their stories and experiences on topics such as leading a business, managing home and life, influencing skills, all with a view to help you gain valuable tools that you can apply into your own professional life. Hello and welcome to episode one of Executives in Wealth Management podcast. Today we're joined by Sarah Lord, ex-president of the Personal Finance Society, and we dig into goal setting, how she develops a positive mindset, and what she means by knowledge is power. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for thanks for joining us today for episode one of Executives in Wealth Management. It's exciting to just kind of start this this journey, and I'm glad you wanted to be a part of it. Um, the The idea is to just talk about Sarah more than any specific job or, or or career, really. Do you mind if we spend a couple of minutes talking about? I guess really how you were raised and the values that were instilled into you as a person um, from a, a very early age. Is that okay? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. That's cool. Yeah. So I, I read, well, we did some research and I read online that your mother was a pharmacist, your father was a dentist, quite professional, quite comfortable upbringing. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think it is. I'm I'm one of three, so I've got two younger brothers. Um, yeah, and my my mum was a pharmacist. Um, my dad's actually also a pharmacist and went okay. into pharmacy. Didn't like it, um, so then went on and did a further five years and trained as a dentist. So I got I got brought up with kind of shall we say a medical professional background, um, which is why to a certain extent I think I ended up doing a degree in medical biochemistry yeah. um because that's what i grew up around um but here i am in financial services <laughs> and what, what's it like having sort of medical type parents you know hard working they often at home around or, or was it what was it yeah it, it was interesting because i mean my mom my mom was an employed pharmacist working in a shop um as, as a pharmacist um but incredibly hard working and my father ran his own kind of dental practice um and so um was was working a lot um mm. both me and my two brothers um you know were fortunate enough to have a private education and um, my parents really saw that as an investment in us for the future which i think all three of us would say we're incredibly grateful for yeah. but i remember as a child um kind of it, it being tough for my parents um kind of financially um and just seeing their dedication to us through their hard work instilled that really I think in all three of us that um you know you have to work hard um throughout life yeah and is, would you say that that's the overarching kind of value that your parents instilled into you and and your brothers as as young children that kind of hard working you know put the effort in and you'll get the reward or you'll be able to do the things in life that you want to yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I saw that in spades with my parents. 
Um, and I think all three of us um, have, have kind of followed that mantra in our individual paths um, of our own careers. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I think hardworking um, and, and kind of commitment um, in that it's not so much about really one of the true values that was instilled in us was it's not about being the best, but it's about trying your best. Mm. Um, and you can't kind of ask for any more as long as you've tried your best at whatever you're doing, whatever that may be, whether that's work, whether that's sport, whether that's something else in your life, kind of give it your best. Um, and, 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 and you can be happy if, if you feel like you've given it your best. Yeah. And sport was a big part of your life as a, as a child, wasn't it? Oh, huge part. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, 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 I did a lot of sport I was fortunate again but you know back to my parents I mean three of us all playing sport at times at the weekends yeah. you know they couldn't actually manage where you know different sporting events and everything um but yeah I, I mean I played hockey um to regional regional level um as well as kind of school I um played uh, a lot of tennis and I still play a lot of tennis and I pretty much did any sport that was going um from school I did sport GS GCSE um nice. and it was a massive a massive part of my life of kind of being part of a team I think it instilled into me at a very early age of kind of the importance of working as part of a team um and I was also fortunate enough to um, captain many of the teams that I played for from a hockey perspective and again kind of in look back now and you realize that that was that was great learning around kind of leadership skills as well um, and I'm seeing it in my daughter now who's sort of captaining the under 11s school football team and nice. you can just see kind of a difference in kind of the learning that you get through sport I'm a massive believer in the benefits of sport yeah and how do you think that those, I guess that camaraderie that you get as part of a, you know, a, a, you're a peer, aren't you? When you're in a, you know, a team, you know, you, you might be a captain, you might be a natural leader and step into that role, but you know, you are one of a group of people on the same team towards the same goal. You know, how, how does that transcend into kind of the workplace and your view on your sort of corporate life and your jobs? You know, have, have you seen a direct link in, 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 in in your journey yeah i i th i think that i personally think there is a, a real direct link because you know yes it's different in, in in work um as to maybe what the goals are and stuff but you're still working as part of the team um and you know when at such a young age to be part of a team you know take the highs and lows of winning matches or losing yeah. matches mm. playing well or not playing so well it, it really does translate into kind of of the workplace and taking some of those learnings and then applying them in a slightly different way but still applying them to that um teamwork which is so essential um kind of in the workplace yeah yeah and then so sport all the way through school medical degree you know very formal education good education was you clear in your mind that medicine or dentistry or pharmacy or whatever it's called um, wasn't for you and, and and wealth management and financial planning was always the way you were going to go no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um i 
I, I basically was one of these people that actually had no idea what I wanted to do um, yeah. when I was doing my A-levels, um, but I enjoyed the sciences. So really took the view of um, do something that you enjoy, because I think that's another really important aspect of you kind of got to enjoy what you're doing um uh, and if you enjoy it you tend to be better at it so um that's why i ended up doing medical biochemistry at leeds because i knew that i would enjoy it uh, and therefore i was giving myself half a chance of getting a decent degree um the only thing that i knew that i really wanted to do once i'd done my degree was do a ski season Mm. um uh, because i was fortunate enough to um, have family ski holidays um, and I just wanted to go and have fun. So that was the only thing that I knew that I wanted to do. Um, but once I'd done my ski season and the summer season, I thought I need to, I need to get a proper job. Um, and I still had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I liked numbers, I liked talking to people. Um, and as it happened, when I finished kind of that year out, um, company called Interalliance was starting up in Nottingham, um, which is my hometown, um, read an article in the newspaper that they were setting up. They weren't advertising roles or anything. It just sounded really interesting, this yeah. business profile. Um, so I literally, you know, as a graduate, not knowing where to start with roles and things, um, gave them a call um, to see if there was anything. Um, and that led to me um, joining that business as a, a, a administrator um and doing my yeah yeah exactly and doing my fp one two and three um kind of realizing once i was once i was through the door realizing what kind of i would say it was an industry then what the industry was about um and it seemed really quite interesting that you could help people um kind of understand their money um and help them kind of in their lives um with their money so um once i sort of started to understand a bit more i decided that that really was the career that i wanted to have yeah and and from there you've you know we'll come on to it later but you've become you know i think the word is an ambassador isn't it for for financial planning and you know been president of the personal finance society for, for a couple of years as an example but what was it within you that you know, really drove you to push and go and educate yourself and learn about financial planning and spend a week in North America on the Kinder Life Planning course. I mean, no one does that, right? You know, what drives you to go and get get all these qualifications and, and really develop? I think at a young age, and, you know, it goes back to kind of like um, my upbringing of you need to work hard, Um But I think also from a fairly young age in my career, um, I realised that, um, it may sound odd, but knowledge is power um, Mm. in the sense of if you've got good knowledge, then you really can kind of have powerful conversations with clients and um, you can really help clients. So I, you know, the early part of my career, I, I really did just um, do exams and I'm not saying that exams are all of it because obviously you know that's only a part of it that gives you the knowledge it's then how you then apply that knowledge um, uh, is key as well so um, you know I was very driven by um, being able to be my best and by being my best is how I could help clients 
um, navigate kind of the complexities of legislation. Um, you know, in particular, early in my career, there was a lot of changes around pensions. We haven't seen as many more recently. Mm. Um, and, and so it was about educating myself. Um, and as you say, you know, one of the things that I did do um, was do the George Kinder life financial life planning. But yeah. rather than do it in the UK, I decided that I would go and spend a week in Boston um, and spend a week as well as learning from George Kinder himself, but also learning kind of from people operating in our profession, but in a completely different country and a di completely different market. So kind of broadening my knowledge. I've always sought to kind of broaden my knowledge as much as I can on just not just the profession but also kind of clients um their behaviors and and therefore how can I best help them um and then more recently say over the last decade is then how can I apply that knowledge that I have learned and my experiences of working with clients to um help younger team members those um starting out on their journey to work with clients as well so kind of a big believer in kind of sharing of knowledge as well mm. so there's a few points in there i'd like to pick up on and we probably can't touch on all of them i i like the um I, i've become a big advocate myself of expanding your own professional network and you know there's so much value from looking outside of your own business and building a network and talking and engaging with people but i'll actually i'll come back to the point that you met, raised around driven by being my best was what you said um hmm. and i'm interested to know what what that actually means to you because that is so subjective isn't it i mean my best might be have a completely different view of the world and you know uh yeah, but it's all about what what's best mean to you, and I guess that's kind of a professional perspective. But it kind of goes beyond that. What what does that mean to you? Um, being my best for me, kind of from a professional perspective, I think it goes back also to my childhood of kind of like you know trying my best, um, and you know being I. <laughs> Early in my career as a financial planner, I got so much satisfaction and um, joy, shall we say, of working with clients and seeing them achieve things or understand things that they never thought they could understand or, mm. um, yeah, uh, being able to do things with kind of their life because they now understood their financial position and had confidence in their financial future. So for me, that that is part of being my best. I think also is um, one thing is that um, I recognize in myself is that I'm at my best when I'm positive. Um, you know, I, I think that applies to a lot of people, but I think I really recognize that I have to be being positive. I am always, I'm full of energy. Um, I'm actually, I actually work better and achieve more to a certain extent the busier I am okay. um and, and but there is a balance and perhaps we'll we'll come on and talk about yeah. kind of that overall balance um but yeah it's it, for me it's feel like you know I've, I've never been one for for example new year's resolutions but I have always been one for sort of setting myself some goals whether that's knowledge goals or whether that's um certainly as a financial planner kind of financial goals um and i am very goal driven 
um, and and being my best is kind of achieving those goals. And they're often stretching goals in a year, um, but that's what gives me satisfaction and that's what kind of pushes me on. Can I, I, I love that. And I don't do New Year's resolutions. I, I, I actually might might put a post out in February about New Year's resolutions because every all the eighty percent of people that have them have stopped already, haven't they? And the ones that are yeah. left might actually create a habit and talk about long term change. Um, can I really press into that? Can you give me an example? Maybe not now, but maybe ten years ago or something, where you set yourself a goal. You know, let's give the listeners something to really understand how you set goals, what sort of time frame, and what you do in your mind to to keep that positive attitude and move towards this goal putting you on the spot a bit here Sarah yeah no, and that's fine I mean from a goal perspective there's always been um there's always personal goals and there's always professional goals okay. um that make up kind of what a year may look like um for me um so just by way of an example for current year um okay. goal um one is it's something that i've always wanted to do but in april i've set myself the goal that i am i am going to wing walk um which wing is walk. A, yeah which is where you're strapped to the outside of an airplane oh um, i know what you mean <laughs> why on earth are you doing um, that <laughs> Why not? Um, I'm going to do it for charity um, because that's always been one of my goals. That I have to do something for charity each year. And I've done some pretty crazy stuff like solo skydives and massive cycle rides. So kind of personal goals um, uh, sit around kind of, um, shall we say, uh, a charitable side um, and also just physical exercise and whether, yeah. you know, how much um, sport I'm going to do in a year. Um Going back kind of to your original question of um, sort of 10 years ago, an example of a goal, I think it's possibly longer than that. But the first year that I was a financial planner and kind of really operating in a true fee-based environment, um, I remember kind of being sort of set, shall we say, a, a financial target. It wasn't a target because I've never really worked in kind of those true sales driven target based yeah. organizations but it was kind of my my allocation of the budget should we say was um about 180 in new income um which was stretching at the time but my personality was right well i i my goal my personal goal is 240 um, so I always add to kind of what I'm told and or suggested as budget. Um, and it, it, that for me was, that was my sole focus um, and how best to do it working with the right clients. Because I think if you kind of frame the goal, it then, you then need to break it down into what are the constituent parts of that? Because too many people I think have, really broad goals of I, I want to do this and it's kind of more of a statement rather yeah. than a goal um so for me kind of goals are you know have your big goal but how are you actually going to achieve it and what are the increments along the way mm. and that's why to a certain extent I'm not a believer in new year's resolutions because again it's often people saying I'm not going to drink or yeah. I'm going to go to the gym more well what does going to the gym more what are you looking to achieve out of that and, and, and how's that kind of going to make you better or be at your best um so yeah there's this and, and there's other sort of 
um, goals that I've set myself from a knowledge perspective. You know, there was a period where it was, I, I, I you know, it links with CPD to a certain extent, but yeah. what do I need to improve my knowledge on this year that is really going to help me with clients or what did I learn last year that actually I feel I could be better at? So there's, there's lots of little goals that make up these things, but um, I'm one of these personalities that if someone sort of says, um, go and do this, I'll say, okay, I'll go and do that, but I'll, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll put, I'll put a Sarah slant on it and kind of push myself a bit more. Um, and there's, there's no, nothing more satisfying than actually achieving those goals. Um, but ticking them a lot off as you go. I remember very early on in my my career someone sort of saying to me it's not it's not just the destination it's the journey that you're on to get to the destination and I think that links into kind of like how I set my goals is you know the goal is the destination but what's the journey to get there yeah and that constantly feeds that positive mindset machine doesn't it you can see you're on a journey you know and yeah and also and also I think by doing it that way you kind of um you know, life is not a straight line. There's ups and downs along the way. And so you will suffer kind of setbacks, but it's how you kind of reassess, okay, what does that mean in relation to my goal? What do I now need to do? Um, and I think it goes back to my point about kind of, you know, I'm at my best when I'm being positive. So rather than um, thinking, oh, you know, woe is me or that's, yeah. that's not my fault or whatever, it's like, what could I have done differently? What could I do better? Or what do I now need to do now? Um, you know, I'm the first to admit that I, I, I'm not very good around people with a negative mindset or a, a mindset of kind of like, that wasn't my fault. Um, I, you know, I'm hard done by. You know, things happen in life um, and you just have to remain positive. People are probably listening, thinking, oh, that's really easy to say. But I guess it is, but actually it's how you put it into practice. Yeah, just take responsibility, own it, learn from it and go again, right? Um, yeah. Okay, and what, what I want to do now is, is transition from, I guess, early career being a relationship manager and a good one to the point in your career when you began to move into leadership. And that's a very broad statement, but we'll we'll start with leadership. So um, am I right in saying that your first official board level appointment was with Walker Cripps? Is that right? Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was I was still really, really quite young um, okay. it, 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 at that, for that appointment. And also, um, you know, I think the profession was very different then yes. as well. So mm -hmm. it, it, it was interesting. And Walker Cripps is a very investment-led firm. I think that's fair. Still is, I, I would argue. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The industry as a whole on, still is rather male-orientated, particularly at board-level representation. As a, in your words, you know, young, really young, I believe was the phrase, uh, really young woman on the board of a male orientated investment management firm in probably the West End. You know, what was that like, Sarah? Um, it was interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think, you know, and, and some of this goes back to kind of like um, my, my view on kind of knowledge and educating myself and, and kind of positioning. Um, 
you know, I have grown up, grown up in my career, shall we say, yeah. um, in uh, when, and particularly when I first started out in a very male dominated um, profession, um, and it it's fair to say that has definitely come with its challenges. Um, and you know, I, I certainly at Walker Crips, um, you know, I was I was kind of on the board of the wealth side of the business, but in the office of kind of um, the stockbroke. You know, when I was there, it was very stock, still stockbroking focused. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was I, I I was. Some people definitely looked at me as if to say, "Who are you? What are you doing? Where have you come from?" When I when I first joined, but you know, you, you kind of live and die by how you behave and um who you are um and you know i i accept that i i may look at things slightly differently than say a male mindset and, and you know that's not me being sexist there's research out there that women and men look at things differently yeah. um and i do think you know um there are definitely benefits it's recognizing kind of that you're not necessarily going to see eye to eye but it's what you bring to the party is the important thing mm. and and how do you remain so i guess resilient you know you, you mentioned that sort of acquisition of knowledge and knowing that you know your stuff and probably more than most of the other people in the room about what you need to know about. Okay. Um, does that kind of feed into that natural confidence and resilience to, you know, get up and go again after a, a, a tough board meeting or senior leadership meeting? Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, you know, throughout my career, there have been challenging times from, um, you know, that male female dynamic completely. Um, whether it's, um, you know, simple things i mean a lot of people that know me know that i'm quite tall um and there has been times where you know i have towered uh, over men in meetings um i've just got used to that but sometimes that can um uh lead to kind of awkward situations but I, that's who i am you know i'm a massive believer in kind of accept me for who i am not everyone's going to get on with everyone i like to think that i'm really fair reasonable um and approachable um and you know it goes back to kind of the the, the sport you know i really do see myself as a team player so you know if there's a disagreement then there's an opportunity to kind of work it through and understand each other at board level um you know being on a board is about kind of um collective views coming to a consensus and i think some people lose sight of that sometimes mm. um and everyone has the opportunity to contribute um in their specialist field as part of that board and you have to respect people's knowledge in their specialist area um so yeah it you know it has been challenging, but at the same time, um, a lot of the time it's not personal. And I think a lot of people get caught up in, it can seem like it's personal when you're having business discussions, but it's not, it's, it's for the greater good of the business and it's not often personal. Um, well, that's certainly the view I've taken because if I've, 
if I'd taken a different view that actually it, a lot of it was personal, I don't think I would have achieved what I've achieved um, to date in my in my career. Um, you do have to have a degree of resilience um, and you do have to have mechanisms um, to cope with the knockbacks or the difficult meetings um, and, and how you kind of regain your focus and go again. Mm. And it, I think learning how to not emotionally respond to somebody else's emotional response, because that's what it's often driven by, isn't it? You know, it's yeah. reaction as opposed to a, a series of thought out arguments, isn't it? And and when you come back to it not being personal, it very re rarely is, isn't it? It's, it's half the time around the board when there's a, there's a disagreement, it's a conflict that's at the point. But, you know, if you can have the same conversation a week later, you might get a completely different response. So w when you talk about those mechanisms that you have in your own mind about how you work through that emotional response i mean can, can you talk a little bit more about that so our audiences can come away and and try and work them into their own um working life yeah and i think you know some of it comes down to kind of personal belief yeah um in, in the sense of kind of you've got to believe in yourself um you, you really have um because actually in difficult meetings any sort of if someone spots a lack of belief in particularly if you're like uh proposing something to a board or you're having difficult discussion around financials or budget and things like that you you've again it comes back to this knowledge piece as well you've got to know your stuff you you've I get frustrated going into board meetings where people aren't prepared. Um, you know, I'm a great believer that you do have to invest the time beforehand to um, know your stuff and go in prepared. Yeah. Um, and, and, and therefore, to a certain extent, if you've done that and you're looking at it from a, 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 a pure business perspective, it is easier to leave the emotion at the door. That's not to say that there hasn't been times when I've been in meetings where I'm, I kind of can feel a degree of emotion in myself, but it, it, it's how then I kind of almost like internalize and talk to myself that don't get emotional, you know, deal with the facts, take a deep breath. Um, but it's also things like allowing time in your diary to um, prepare for a meeting, but also process a meeting. I don't think a lot of um, people starting out in their careers, particularly going into leadership positions, I don't think, you know, there's such a fast pace of life these days. Um, and diaries, you know, most people that I talk to seem to struggle with their diaries, but diary management is really important because you actually need time to process meetings if they've been long kind of board meetings and, and kind of reflect on them. Um, in the moment not necessarily straight after the meeting but within sort of that 24-hour period and also the the ability to create time to follow up because in, inevitably there is um the need to follow up um and, and and that then helps position yourself with your key stakeholders or other directors also one of the big should we say coping mechanisms for me um, throughout my career, even, you know, since I've had children and life's got even busier, is making time for me and what's important to me, which comes back to sport. Um, so having the ability to 
um, make sure that, you know, I've got Peloton now, but for ten, the first 10 years of my career was always making sure that I made the spin class on a Monday night, for example, yeah. um, because that spinning for me is what does it for me. For some people it's running, so it, it's other, you know, some people don't like sport and it's doing art and craft, whatever it may be. Yeah. But making sure you've got that right balance, that you do have that, that time to kind of, re-energize yourself by doing something else because that then creates the energy to have the difficult conversations if you need to have them um but that all sounds really negative that kind of like you know every meeting's challenging it's not but you do need to be prepared for it um and i think that's something that i kind of made sure i learned from a really young age of kind of um making sure you've got that right balance in your overall life because that helps you in your professional life yeah and I think there's lots of good stuff in there um i think that but diary management is almost to some extent it's become more difficult since uh covid and the rise of home working because people now are just back to back to back to back to back all day with video conferencing and and you know absolutely you know i'll choose my words here but you know zoom fatigued to, to the nth degree by the end of the day and there's no time in between you know, even that five minutes of walking from an office to an office is can give you that time to kind of decompress and breathe so i think that's actually really good in building time in your diary in a week to just catch up decompress you know reflect on actually what has been happened and, and appropriately prepare for, for stuff going forward um okay that's good um can we talk about you've done some some interesting roles and big roles you know partner at Mazars, partner at Killick and internationally um chief client officer at both succession and Cooper Parry Wealth um if we take them as a collective really as opposed to digging into one specifically you know what do you think your key learnings are from being exposed to a practice to a you know an investment-led international firm to being um in a you know, dare I say, a, a P-backed consolidator. These are very different environments with very different people. You know, what, what have you learned as a collective on that sort of last 10 years? Um, it's interesting to say that because it, to a certain extent, it's kind of been deliberate in my career as well mm -hmm. as to kind of getting learnings from different environments or different, you know, financial services, financial planning, wealth management. It's a really, really broad sector. Yeah. Um, and so, like, for example, when I when I left Killick, I had seven and a half wonderful years at Killick where I did work in the Middle East. And I also did work in London, working with great clients. It was a deliberate move on my part as to what next, what's next going to challenge me and what am I going to learn from, which is what led me into kind of, shall we say, the professional services and that, yeah. that kind of accountant see hmm. um so there's been it's been deliberate moves and then as you say going into um a pe backed consolidator um yes ultimately it's all about saving the client and financial planning um but there there's been some massive learnings in each of those environments um whether it's nuances around kind of like how a true international partnership like massage operates versus the Killick 
partnership model um, through to learning about um, working with private equity, um, what their focus is, um, and indeed kind of like how you, um, lots of learnings at succession around kind of like the consolidation um, model. Um, and, you know, it comes back to this point about I've always got this thirst for learning and improving and kind of being my best and, and, and sort of always thinking, how can I learn more um, to be able to apply it in the future? Um, and, you know, more recently at Cooper Parry um, Wealth kind of had responsibility around compliance as well, yeah. um, uh, which, you know, starting out my career as a true financial planner, never thought I would, I, I would, I, I would find myself doing that but yeah, <laughs> yeah. um but it, it's about actually taking each of those learnings from those different environments is what ultimately starts to make you up as as an individual and you can draw on different experiences hmm. in different circumstances but it's all learnings that you can kind of relate to and draw upon in the future yeah that's really interesting and it, it all kind of links together when you talk about um you know go back to why you decided to do uh kinder life planning in north america you know change the environment change the exposure the perspective kind of shifts your circle gets a little wider and then you know purposely going out and working in the middle east then a practice and a consolidator it just you know it's like going to find environments that are going to test you as an individual and help you to develop and you know be my best as as you said which is which is really cool okay so if we if we take your kind of to move the conversation towards the the end point of your career not say over there sarah but you know looking forward i guess you know the, the planning has definitely moved from being an industry as you said before you know kind of sales driven um to definitely uh, are we are we there yet as a as a as a proper profession? We're probably on that journey. You could argue, um, but a lot closer to a profession today than we were 15, 20 years ago. There's absolutely no doubt about that at all. You know, what do you want to see happen to the profession of wealth planning, wealth management over the next decade? Um, I think I think we've. We've made significant strides as far as kind of like moving from, shall we say, a transaction based industry to a service driven profession. Um, I still think there is some way to go um, for not so much within our profession, because I think we are very much 90% of those operating see themselves as professionals now um, and see it as a profession. It's much more what I'd like to see is that journey continue with ultimately the end users, the consumers and society, and therefore kind of greater recognition within society around the professionalism of financial services and the need and the benefit of receiving financial advice, financial guidance, financial coaching, because I think, and, and, and investment management, they, they all have a really crucial part to play depending on individual circumstances. And I think, you know, we've, we've seen significant um, 
improvements in society's understanding of kind of chartered financial planner status is kind of um, on a par with that of a, a chartered accountant. Right. But I still think there is some way to go because often there is still, um, shall we say, a degree of stigma in society around kind of what we do. And you say, oh, you know, talk to people and sort of say, oh, I'm a chartered financial planner, I'm a chartered wealth manager. And they say, oh, what do you mean? An IFA? And you're like, yeah, it is, that's the same yeah. sort of language, but you're still sort of explaining it, whereas everyone has, it genuinely has an understanding of kind of the other professions, like an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor. Um, so for me, that that's what I'd like to see. I'd also like to see the continual journey of, um, we've made great strides as people, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do, um, but we're now sort of educating kind of people younger that actually can have a really rewarding professional career um, if you come out of university and kind of come into our profession, um, because I think that plays a part in it as well. So I really would like to see kind of that continuation of fresh young um blood as it were coming into the profession and carrying on that kind of journey of professionalism i think that's really important um and you know just i'm so passionate about people having an understanding of their financial future to be able to live the life that they want to live i mm. think you know everyone has different goals everyone has different aspirations and um money is an anchor to that in some shape or form and yeah. everyone has different but different beliefs around money um but everyone i believe should have the opportunity to understand what their financial position means that they can achieve in their life depending on what they want to achieve so i still think there's quite a lot a long way to go from that perspective when you look at kind of the levels of engagement with financial advice and financial um guidance um across the uk Okay, oh, that's, that's good. So one final question then before we move on to the uh, quick fire round, which is exciting. Um, you, you've had a really varied career. You've done some quite interesting stuff, both personally and professionally. So let's say we're talking to a person now who's just stepped into their first board level role or the first leadership role in any context, whether that be managing a a para planning department or as i say being a board director for the first time you know having now been a pfs president you know and, and a bit of strategic advisor to the board and we're not going near the pfs situation at the moment we're staying no. very clear of that you know but what advice would you give to somebody who's just made that step been rewarded here's your first opportunity what would you say I think there's a, there's a couple of key things and I think the most important thing is you are only human mm. um, and therefore you will make mistakes and anyone that thinks that they're kind of going to step into that role and it's going to be easy um, is naive. Yeah. Um, it's It's about accepting that you will make mistakes and if you do make mistakes holding your hands up, recognizing that maybe you have made a mistake in a decision or in a hire or on a strategic initiative. Um, but it's what it, 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 it's, you know, it goes back to what I was saying earlier. It's not about getting down about making that mistake. It's about learning from that mistake um, and, and remembering you are only human. 
Um, I think also the other thing that I've seen quite a lot of is um, people going into sort of their first leadership um, positions and trying to do it all to kind of prove that they can do it. Again, yeah. you're only human. Um, don't change who you are. You're, you're put into that role because people believe in you in the first place because you've done some great stuff to that point. Um, don't sort of suddenly think that you've got to do even more and prove yourself even more. Yeah, there is always an element of kind of when you step into a role, you have got to demonstrate that you're you're capable of it. But I've seen too many people put too much pressure on themselves um, and, and, and therefore not actually succeed to their real true ability um and kind of also don't change stick mm. to your true values that's what's got you to where you are today yeah. mm. and can get you beyond a lot of people maybe um you know i don't mean to sound crude but some people i have definitely seen power go to their head yeah um and actually yeah. Um, that has a negative impact on kind of how you behave in your role and the impact and influence that you can have in that first leadership kind of role. Um, so just stay true to your values um, and accept that you are only human. Love it. Cool. Okay. So quick fire round. So this is the first episode. So what we're going to do is ask all our guests the same five questions. We've not told you what they are. So I guess you'll be the only guest ever that doesn't know who they are, what they are before we have this conversation. But the purpose is just to respond as you naturally would, as quickly as you can. Yeah. So we'll go for yeah. it. Sarah, in one word, how would your partner describe you? Perfectionist. Nice. Okay. Who is your idol? Oh, don't really know. Go on, try harder. uh probably bill gates okay cool what are you currently reading stolen focus what's that it's a book by johan hart on kind of like how you can get distracted and how you actually need to remain focused on what you want to do and what you want to achieve okay sounds more serious than what i'm reading um what do you <laughs> hate uh, there's quite a few, but one of my <laughs> one of my biggest ones, um, kind of in a professional and personal perspective, is I um, is sorry, way of saying this, I don't like people that lie. Um, I much prefer full honesty. Okay, I think there's more to that, but we'll we'll move on from that. Um... Last one. I reckon I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway. Uh, you can go on holiday anywhere in the world, no cost, go for a week. Where do you go? Oh, I don't know. Um, it would it would be something active. Um, it could possibly be um, skiing, I think. Where? Is that what you... Oh, I don't know. Canada. I yeah, love exactly. skiing in Canada. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, Sarah, thank you for being guest number one. You'll forever go down in, in history, I'm sure. But um, no, thanks for thanks for coming on. It today. can only get better from here. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs>